Welcome to Whisker Dice. I am your host, the Conesy with the Most, and I have been joined by these wonderful and illustrious individuals. Hey, you got Brian, also known as Stark Raving Mad here. Hello, everyone. This is Justin, the Meeple's Champion. This is episode 91 of the Whisker Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Today is April 3rd, 2022, and in today's episode, we'll cover how to approach new games and have fun. And our hobby corner will catch up on any miniature painting projects we've been working on. But first, let's dive into what games we have been playing. And I'll go ahead and kick that off with Azul from Next Move Games. Azul is a relatively quick game to play. It takes about 30 to 60 minutes with two to four players. Uh, I think all of us have actually played this game before. But effectively, it's a yeah, it's a it's effectively a tile drafting game, and then placement onto your board in a way that you're uh, trying to uh, complete rows and columns and sets of different colored tiles. I think we might have talked about this before as a game, but it is the the reason I'm talking about it today is that it is the first game to get played in the new Delve. One of the reasons that little bit of the content on the website blog articles like uh kickstart monday have not been as frequent as they should have been lately uh is because uh suzanne and i had a major move to a new amazing house with this amazing game space and uh, just haven't had an opportunity to get back here just getting back to an opportunity to play games and do stuff so azul was the first game now we played it with the Crystal Mosaic expansion, which just basically adds a couple of additional player boards with some different variants for uh, how you can align the tiles and score and gives you some more challenges, makes the game more interesting. But the biggest part of that expansion is that it gives you an actual overlay to fix the biggest problem with the game, which is keeping your tokens from sliding all over the place, like your score token. Nope, there's an overlay. It keeps it in place. It doesn't slide. You don't have to worry about, oh, crap, I bumped it. Was I at 34 or 44 points? Nope, it's just right there. It's not going to go anywhere very easy. It's nice. It's just, it's wonderful. Uh, it's the best thing that could have came to an already brilliant game. So Azul, it's so much fun, and it's fast. I love it. Can't say enough about it. It's a great game. I wanted to ask if you guys had, like, discussed you know, what would be the inaugural game that you played in, in your new house? Or is it just sort of, <laughs> this is the box we opened and that's what was in it, you know? No, that's an excellent question, Justin. So the game that we were going to play was going to be Dead Reckoning, because that's a Kickstarter that we just got, and we're super excited to get it to the table. That's a pirate-themed game with cool cards you slip in the overlays, uh, it's very, they uses that mystic veil, but it also has a map control and player, real heavy player interaction. You can attack each other and whatnot or attack, uh, merchant ships that are around the board. And, uh, we have a couple expansions for it. It's looks like it's going to be a super fun game to, to but. play, but, but there's a, but here <laughs> there was a round of not feeling very good in the house. And so we we picked a game that uh, was going to be a lot less mentally taxing for us <laughs> to be able to uh, actually play. 
and we only just got this played uh, yesterday, so it was uh, it's it's been a bit of a a bit of bit of a challenge to get games back to the table the last couple of weeks. Just been kind of hectic, uh, but it's nice to be able to actually finally do that. So that was Azul. Brian, nice. do you have a question? Uh, I was just gonna ask, like specifically, what the expansion entailed if it was like solely those like overlays and like a little bit of new rules or like i just wanted to clarify what it was because i wasn't familiar yeah that's basically all it is it's the overlays and two new player boards and if you remember from the base game the player boards on the the main game it has uh the player board is two-sided and on one side of the player Mm -hmm. board it has like a spot and it shows you like you need to place all the tiles in basically these exact specific spots. Yeah. And on the other side, it's completely blank. And you can place the tiles basically anywhere you want, but you can't have anything in the you can't have the same tile in the same column or the same row. Mm-hmm. You can't play have two of them. So, you know, that's your only restriction. So in this in this it has like a player board where it has like one of each on one of the sides of the player board it has uh, one of each tile in each row with a times two multiplier. So when you score, when you place, <laughs> when you score that that plate, when you place and score that one, it doubles the score just that one time. And then the other side, it has, you, you'll figure out fairly quickly when you, you play the original game that there is only... Um, you, you basically do diagonals with all of the the tokens, and um, you will you will never overlay anything. Um, you will never have anything that matches the same row and column. So the other side of this board, it has each color tile fixed in a spot where it guarantees that you can't do the diagonals. Like you will ultimately. It 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 messes that whole like calculation of how you were going to get things to work just thinking diagonals because oh wait I can't hmm. and so that becomes an interesting challenge so as well. Mm-hmm. So it changes just changes a little bit of the way. It, there's no like major change to the game mechanics. It's still you have four you have the the little round tile d- discs of tiles with four tiles on each and you're drawing a tile off of e- you know when it's your turn you draw a tile either from the center or from one of those discs and you place it place it and then when you fill up the rows and it's it's the same game doesn't change it's just really the 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 design of the player board and maybe a little bit of scoring mechanic with how the game changes so it's not a very expensive expansion either but it's if you have Azul, it's worth purchasing just for the overlays. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to talk about Hadrian's Wall. Uh, this is a game from Garp Hill Games. It takes about 60 minutes to play, and it is for one to six players. Hadrian's Wall is a flip and write game where each player acts as a Roman general building what they call a mile castle. Um, the players have to build the infrastructure of their castle and bolster its defenses defend against, to defend against invading picked armies each round. Uh, and at the same time, you have to build up the civilian districts in your mile castle um, to earn victory points uh, on these four different victory point tracks. 
each round you get a set of different workers that you use to take actions on these two large uh, paper sheets where you're where you're marking all your actions. Uh, taking an action is fairly simple. You just spend the required worker for that action and then mark off the next corresponding box in that area. So, for example, uh, I need to spend a soldier type worker on the wall guard action. Uh, then I mark the next box in that in that track. And I gain a bonus that whatever the box shows. So which for the wall guard, usually it's increasing the outer defenses of of my uh, area to kind of help against this invasion that's going to happen at the end of the round. Um, other actions might provide you ongoing income or one time bonuses where you get another new worker to use to take more actions on your turn. Uh, one of the really satisfying things about this game is finding these synergistic chains between actions so for example i uh take one of these soldiers and put it on a wall guard action i fill in a box which gives me a victory point on a on the discipline track and on the discipline track if i happen to fill enough boxes uh if i fill one that has a a builder type worker i immediately get the builder type worker so i get that and then i can use that on a training grounds action and turn that worker into another soldier to go and boost my defenses again. So all of the actions and areas have these uh, interactions with each other to kind of chain together and and synergize. Um, it is Hadrian's Wall is is easily the most complex roll and write or flip and write type game that I've played. I think we typically associate roll and write games with like lighter uh lighter games but this is really like a mid to heavyweight euro game it's got resource management technology trees multiple victory paths um it is a solid resource management euro game um one other nice thing about it is that when you're taking these actions everybody is just simultaneously taking their actions on their sheets spending their workers getting their stuff and they you know, keep taking their turn until uh, everybody takes their turn simultaneously until everyone is done. So there is a fair bit of complexity in the game, but it doesn't slow things down because everybody can take their actions at the same time. I also wanted to note that there's really no direct player interaction in this game. So if you're the kind of player who dislikes multiplayer solitaire type games, probably not the game for you. Otherwise, I would highly recommend taking a look at Hadrian's Wall really cool one hopefully i will 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 get it to the delve here at some point <laughs> that'll be awesome so i think brian and i have played cartographers and i know you have as well yes. give us a feel how much more complex is this game than that <laughs> um okay uh <laughs> in cartographers you have a sheet that you draw a little landscape tiles on so um you usually draw a polyomino shape you know tetris tile shape thing uh as a card is flipped and you need to choose okay i need to draw straight four squares in a row on my board that are forests or i need to draw a little cube a two by two cube of i don't know uh, a monster or something potentially so the difference here is that you've got two <laughs> two i mean they're eight by eight sheets of paper one side is your fort the other side is your sort of civilian districts 
there's, I don't know, 20 different actions that you could take with any of your workers. Um, each of those actions is a track that's like 10 to 20 boxes long, and they all kind of interact with each other. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, this is, um, I mean, I'd say like you're comparing Azul to Agricola in terms of complexity uh, with this, right? Okay. For but, cartographers to this, this is like the the most complex roll and write. It's it's a it's not <laughs> it's complex, uh, and it's a bit of a learning curve. But like I said, like actually doing stuff is easy. It's finding those interactions and the and the paths to get you what you want. You can specialize in certain things. You can really bolster your defenses and like basically earn points for defeating the invading armies or ignore them completely and like get victory points doing totally other stuff so and, um, and this game was the same it's in that raiders of scythia line it's isn't it the same yeah the the art is kind of of that style it's the same designers and it has uh i will say a, a bit of shared dna i think with paladins of the west kingdom there's definitely some similarity in taking those workers each round, doing little things with each of them, uh, and then sort of finding ways to get more workers to do more stuff. So, um, Was there like any player interaction at all then? Or are you all just kind of doing your own separate thing? Like, is there competing resources? Or it sounded like you're there, repelling the same invaders? There's not competing like... resources. The invaders you repel come from a deck of invader cards. Um, the only kind of interaction that you might have is there's an action that lets you tr um, get trade goods, which will depend on the cards that your opponents chose to use on their turn. Um, you choose a card each yeah. round that gives you an additional couple of workers for your turn, and then it also has a, a specific trade good on it. So if I was doing trade good stuff, I would have to look at my opponent's goods for which ones I could kind of get. Um, but not it doesn't have like even like a worker placement where you could block spaces or anything like that it is very definitely a multiplayer solitaire but i think still a fantastic game worth worth taking a look at if it sounds like it would be interesting to you yeah i've just never played a game like that where you're playing with other people but sounds like not really playing with other people so it's kind of i mean it is like cartographers right where you're kind of just doing your own board That's although true. cartographer does have the monsters you can throw at people um once in a while yeah like and draw on their boards which is i think a genius way to do some player interaction in a row and mm -hmm. game uh but yeah not, nothing direct like that in this interesting all right well those are all of the games we've been playing recently you can go to whiskodice.com for links to the games we discussed, as well as images of the games themselves. But next, let's dive into our hobby corner, where we talk about the miniature hobby projects that we've been working on. Brian, why don't you go ahead and get this thing kicked off, kicked off for us today? Sure. So following up from the last pre-Adepticon episode, I was working on that U.S. infantry to finish out our team tournament force. I remember it was like 15 or 16 dudes. I was wrapping up for that. I think I was getting pretty close when we recorded last, but I'm happy to say like I put a lot of effort in the weekend before Adepticon week to finish those out and have them all finished ahead of time. So there was no like 
whatever cramming the night before or anything to finish anything up. So that was comfortable and got a lot more infantry ready to go now. And I don't know, they made it to the table and worked out good. Um, I guess you'll have to catch our point five cast for Ben and I's Adepticon recap, see all the action that happened there. And then also coming off Adepticon, uh, we played the Batman tournament the next day. And I don't know, like, we just had a really good vibe from that. So I was pretty pumped to get some more Batman going. Like, I didn't expect to flip back to painting Batman when I came back. And I thought I'd want a break after take, cramming out all those other models pretty quickly. But I, know, I was just pretty hyped coming off the tournament to finish up painting some new models, get some models on the table. So um, I had started Rachel Ghoul before, so mostly done now. I got to come in and do like the black lining and shadows on them. And then also fairly started putting some base colors on Ubu. So a couple new models for the league coming out. And then, I don't know, we'll see. I'm excited for some more Batman games soon. And I also came away with like a whole Bane crew from our tournament. So I was pretty lucky to collect all that with the prize support. And that'll be fun just to have something different in our local group to put on the table. And I guess we'll see how quickly that makes it. I don't know. I was kind of fortunate, but at the same time, I think everybody just kind of stopped taking Bane stuff when they started to see that you were basically collecting a Bane army over there. It's kind of the same thing with the other kid that got the like the two-player starter and a whole like another whole army and whatever. Like he, like this was his first outing or whatever for for Batman. And yeah, so we'll talk more about it on the on the point five show we got coming up, but. Uh, yeah, uh, Depticon was a thing, and it was a blast, and thank you so much for painting all those U.S. infantry, and I know exactly what you're talking about when it comes to being pumped up for hobby. I unfortunately don't have a hobby space yet, <laughs> which ties right into what my project was, which is effectively reassembling the gaming and hobby space, which has been kind of a full-time job for about the past two weeks since we're settling into this house, as I we finally were able to uh, get a board game to the table. So that the, we've got the game table set up. We started hanging some of the art. I still don't have um, Slither, our, our dragon-headed wall mount, up on the wall yet. I haven't been able to get the hardware store to get the stuff to be able to mount him. But, like, I sold my old hobby desk and my old chair. So I didn't have like I, I I didn't have a hobby space uh, when I you know moved into this place. So um, ordered a new hobby desk. Uh, I have a chair that I'm going to be using for it. Uh, but then the hobby desk is like 90% put together yesterday, and of course you know what one piece is uh, was manufactured incorrectly. So I have to wait till business hours, business days, and business hours. Oh, all no. this company, <laughs> so I can get a replacement part, and who knows how long that'll take. Um, I'm sure it was an honest, like the part, the, the part they sent me just didn't have the holes drilled in it. And I'm not going to try to eyeball the holes. Um, I'll, I'll have them send me a new one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, and then I got to locate, I'm, I'm not sure which box my paints and stuff are in. So, or I think I know where most of my hobby, like at least my knives and whatever are, I know where my airbrush is, but where all the paints are, I'm not sure I've got. A guess, but like all the board games still aren't complete. I'm down to like two boxes of board games to get unpacked. Uh, so there's there's a lot going on in the hobby space, and it's just not the kind of hobby that 
that I want to be doing because I was <laughs> I, I came off of that Batman <laughs> tournament too, and I'm like, oh man, I really want to get get these Batman models built and painted that I that I won, and I want to I got all these models that I need to get painted, and I was last night I was watching they they just released a bunch of new joker stuff for the joker crew and i'm like oh man i should go order that wait a minute i have no place to work on it right now it'll show up in like three days i'll be all excited and then it'll go on the shelf and i'll forget about it for like three months so yeah that's that's kind of where i've been hobby wise so i think that takes care of all of our hobby for this this month's hobby so we will get some picks up on our hobby projects on whiskodice.com and uh, here I will plug that uh, there is a new YouTube series you can catch the videos for the new Delve so uh, the first video is up and available you can check out what the potential space or the, the space will put or the space is without anything in it and coming soon we'll get another video up uh, with at least what its current state is, which is mostly just organized chaos, I think. But hey, that's coming. Um, but all that will be at whiskerdice.com, so make sure you check them out. And with that, let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dive into our main topic. Hey folks, this is the Conzi of the Most. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about Misty Mountain Games here in Madison, Wisconsin, where you can find CCGs, RPGs, board games, minis, paint and hobby supplies for your all of your tabletop gaming experience and needs. If you can't find it online, give them a phone call or swing on by their brick and mortar store uh, here on the east side of Madison. Don't worry, that is MistyMountainGames.com. Check them out today. back all right let's go ahead and dive into how to approach new games and have fun so we took a look at this and we kind of broke it into a couple of sections things things you want to do before you know focus on before you you know say you're learning this new game at a game night so you're going to things you want to do before you get to the game night then during the teach while somebody's teaching the game things you're going to want to do during that teach while it's being taught to you. I guess in our, our our approach in this scenario, it is definitely somebody teaching it, somebody else's game that's coming, it's being being taught to you and not necessarily something that you're bringing as a new game to the table to teach other people. During the game, we'll talk about things you do during the game and then some things you can do after the game's done. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into things you want to do before the game hits the table. And one of the first things I think is most important, and I took this as a philosophy uh, recently. I, I really only recently started doing this when I started moving back into the Dungeon Master role. And that was before I get to the game table, before I get into that role, I need to ensure that I'm... I'm ready in an attitude to have fun. So make sure that you're ready to have fun before you arrive. If you if you bring negativity before you before uh, to the table, you're going to get a negative experience. Like that's it's just no, no matter what that's going to happen. So just bring bring positivity. And if you're positive and you know you're going to have a good time and you know you are having you you you're dedicated to having a good time, 
then it makes it easier for you to to do all the other things we're going to talk about and help other people have a good time while you're playing. Yeah, I mean that that positive attitude is contagious. Like you, you and same with a negative attitude, you bring either one and I think it affects other people the same way. So, uh you're helping the whole game out by coming in with, you know, positive energy, positive attitude. We're here to have fun. It's it it helps everybody out, I think. Yeah, I think it's really essential and and I think it's been a uh contributing factor to I think everyone's enjoyment of our D&D game. Anything you do, you know, like, have you had a situation where you're like, man, I do not want to DM today. You know, what's, uh, what do you do to, to get to that point if you are in a, in a bad attitude, bad mood? You know, you personally are just suggestions for others, I suppose. Try to do something to help get yourself in that spot, whether it's, you gotta, whatever got you into the negative space, try to bring, do or brings, do something that gets you into a positive space. Like, I might take some time out to work on some hobby or listen to a song or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, like, get some get some hype music going. Yeah, you know. Like uh, a whole pregame Epic fantasy music maybe going. Like yeah, 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 up. pregame. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I Have for me, games. like, I, I'm almost always just excited to play a game. Like, it, it's hard for me to have come in with a negative attitude because I just like want to play a board game or D D or whatever. You know, I, I that's that's a it's an interesting one for me because I'm just like I'm I'm usually just excited and ready to go. <laughs> do you have do you have this thing, Brian? Do you anything you got that you would do specific to Anna hype up? Does it does it happen uh. in tournaments that you kind of need to do this? Like oh, I don't want to play this guy and uh <laughs> psych yourself into it or something. Uh, well, I don't think I'm ever too particular about that with a particular opponent necessarily. Like, I know I have to like focus a lot on positivity and like expectations beforehand. Like, even playing games in general, I know like I feel like that's a bigger realization I've had as an adult. Is like, I guess my fun attitude is more like keeping my expectations like realistic. Like, mm. I think like before like. You know, I was always like focused, like, oh, I got to win and stuff like that and get really caught up. And like, you know, if I'm not winning, I'm having a bad time kind of thing or whatever. But like, you know, kind of maturing and being more of an adult about it kind of thing. Like we're playing games to have fun or whatever kind of thing. This is the first time I'm playing it. It's not the end of the world. Like I'm playing this game to, you know, entertain a few hours with some friends kind of thing. So yeah, it's more like fun expectations kind of thing. I do like with like the tournament game it was kind of a different thing i hadn't thought about it but i usually like i, don't know, I tend to be a little more negative unless like i never feel like you know i'm like tip-top tournament ready like i'm gonna go and conquer every kind of thing kind of attitude like i'm always like pretty negative about like how i'm playing like i think that's mostly just compared to like like how much i regularly play lately it's like you know, many years ago when I was like a kid and stuff like that, I could play like Warhammer like three games a week or something like that. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, even then I still feel that great about it. But, you know, when we're playing more casual steel casual stuff, like I to get more experience. Like usually you can get kind of a vibe for the tournament that, you know, those people are there to have a good time too. Like occasionally there'll be mm. the, 
win at all costs kind of thing. And like, I guess if that's their thing, I try and just let it go, you know, or whatever kind of thing. Like, I'm trying not to let it get to me kind of thing. But I know I can kind of psych myself out, be like, oh, I'm not ready to play this tournament. And, you know, I don't want to just go and get my butt kicked the whole time kind of thing. But I'm trying to talk myself into that. You know, I'm going to go play some games and it's going to be fun whether I win or lose kind of thing. So, yeah. I think we had a little bit of that at Adepticon because uh, this is what you're only your second Batman tournament, and you were the first one you went to. You had a really not a not a positive experience, right? And so, you know, I think there was a, there was definitely I felt like I was kind of like, all right, Brian, I got to coach you up, I got to pump you up. This is going to be a good time. And, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was and that's exactly what happened. I think there was one other one like. Or was it Renegade the last time or something? Like, I skipped one that you had gone to recently because I wasn't sure how it was yep. going to be. Yeah. You skipped Renegade this yeah. time. You, you skipped both times I went to Renegade. Yeah, I was just meeting the more recent one I was trying to remember. But, yeah, one of the turns we had gone to, like, it was a second edition Batman tournament, too, and I feel like that played into it a little. Like, it just wasn't quite as fun of a game as, or as easy to have just a fun time as it is now kind of thing. Like, if you lost, it was just kind of a bad time kind of thing. And I don't know, just everybody at that turn seemed like on a whole different level than me. And like, I couldn't really hold my own against them. So that kind of, you know, that was my main experience with the Batman tournament outside of like Madison. Like we had, we had done one here, like just before COVID, I think it was. And that one was okay, but it was like very early third. So I wasn't sure how that was going to go. Like, you know, now that there's a lot more decks and, you know, a lot more strategies and a lot of my biggest thing with this tournament was just how much stuff like I haven't played against and have no clue about about that I would probably run into. But like with our point here, like I had to try and focus on, hey, I'm going to get to see all these cool other crews and stuff that I haven't experienced yet rather than like, oh, I don't know these. I'm just going to get my butt kicked kind of thing like just focusing on you know, the excitement and fun and kind of seeing the new stuff. And now I'm excited to try and, you know, get some more crews to our table locally. A couple other things you'd you'd want to do before you you get the game started or, you you know, before you're, you know, you're even to that point where the the game's on the table before you get there or whatever the case might be. This this is going to be very obvious. Read the rule book. (laughs) Take the time to read the rule book ahead of time before you arrive and, and are ready to play the game. It's amazing how that can get you into a headspace, be ready to play the game and have less questions about how the game works mechanically and then put you at more ease. If reading the rule books too much, I mean, rule books are pretty much available for every board game that I know of online, but let's say the rule, reading the rule book is too much to have, you know, you don't have the time for that. A quick 10 to 15 minute how to play video on YouTube is a great way to, you know, get yourself orientated, get yourself orientated around the mechanics uh, for the game. And if you don't know what, what, you know, say you're going to your friend's game night and you don't know what's going to be played, so you can't do this prep, ask. Um, hey, I know we have game night on Friday night. What What's going to be played? For game nights I run personally, I make sure that people have usually one or two of the games that are going to be hitting the table. Uh, with uh, oftentimes we'll even send a YouTube video or that I recommend if it's a more complex game as part of the organizer, but uh, try to try to help people get in that space. But, you know, 
if you know what's going on or if you have an idea what the game's going to be played that's new to you and you have a chance to orientate around yourself, then you can start to get that understanding of how the game plays and works and, and is structured mechanically. And of course, then if you're worried about being competitive because maybe you're a hyper competitive player, you could always then dive into a few uh, quick searches on the internet for some beginner strategy. If it's not I, already included in the rule book. I, uh, I will often read rules or watch videos on how to play games uh, for, for new stuff that I, that I know is going to get played. But for whatever reason, I really feel like looking up strategy the, for, for the first time I play, like for me, that feels like cheating a little bit. I don't know. It's not. It's just like, I don't do that, but I think it's still a good idea because it may just be like, avoid these pitfalls. You know, here's something you want to avoid doing on like your first turn because that could just ruin your game. Uh, and that there's a game I played recently called Barrage, which is a heavy, complex Euro game. And there's a rules video for it that I watched. And then the same guy made a kind of early strategy video guide because he said, look, you can mess up your whole game by doing the wrong stuff at the beginning. It's just that kind of game. And so I kind of taken a, a this it's changed my changed my perspective on looking up strategy for a game before I play it the first time just to, you know, you know, again like I said, it, to me it feels like I'm trying to get an extra advantage and cheat or something, but really like just, you know, look up these for a for a complex game, help yourself not take like a really bad action in your first turn or something like that. We had a guy that came to our game nights and he's still on the invite list but just i think life issues have made have have it he you know he has been able to make it out for a couple of years but uh i know because he doesn't get to play that often he would not only read the rules and read a bunch of how get a bunch of how-to videos for the game that he wanted to play that night when he was coming but he would also dive into some strategy because because it was, you know, he would get to play one or two games, maybe a month if he was lucky. Mm-hmm. Really, probably more like one game a month. And because he was coming to our gaming nights and I would rotate mm-hmm. the games so often, he wasn't getting to play the same game where he could like, hey, I'm going to discover this game and then we'll play it a second and a third time. No, he's like, I'm going to play this game once. And I would like to get more out of it and have a and feel like I'm competitive in the game yeah. and actually, you know, do some of that. You know, you know, I don't want you know, you know, I still want to. Hey, I want to discover the game and figure out the strategies and stuff like that to an extent. But hey, I also don't want to just sit here for three hours and let, watch somebody else win. I want to be competitive, and so I, I, you know, on that same same mindset, I'm, I'm much, I think, your way, Justin, with. Hey, I don't really want to dive into a game and know the strategy. Like I want to be able to discover the strategy yep. over repeated plays and really learn and get the, and, and discover that for myself. But I certainly see the other side of that where you know, if you don't play a lot of games and you don't get to play the same game, maybe you might never play the same game twice because of your situation, then by all means yeah. Take a little time to figure out a little strategy. I think Matt talks about a time he played Everdell with this couple that Suzanne and I know, 
and they are Evidel like experts, right? <laughs> and it was, I think, Matt's first time playing Everdell. So, like mechanically, maybe he played it once before, but mechanically, they he he understood the game, but strategically, they were on a completely different level. Uh, him and his wife, and the game turned, you know, because of that it was it it was like, well, wait a minute. You know, it wasn't as enjoyable as it could have been. And if he would have maybe taken a little extra time to do some strategy, you know, ahead of time and understand yeah. like, understand some of these idiosyncrasies and things you want to do, maybe he would have had a better time. So it, there's a careful balance, right? I don't want to be, I don't want to, you know, there's a, in the miniature wargaming world, there's a net listing kind of concept where you basically look up on the internet whatever the the best possible configuration for a given army or faction is and mm. you play you buy that and you play that um so you don't want to you don't want to take it to that extreme i don't think that's not good sportsmanship that's not i don't think that's what anybody should be trying to get when you come to board game night or to go play a game but you want to get yourself in a position so that you don't feel like you're just there going through the motions the whole time either right well and especially if you know that the people you're playing with have played this game multiple times if you've got everybody new to a game and i look up all the strategies like that feels a little eh, iffy to me but if i know that if i look up strategies on how to play terra mystica because i'm playing against you ben like i feel no guilt for that (laughs) because that's just like i you're an expert at that game and uh and I would be totally fine to do that. But I've been an expert. I mean, I don't feel like I've changed my strategy in that game much since my initial few plays, like <laughs> two or three plays. Like I just like you pick the right thing right away. Yeah. I'm just yeah. like I feel like I'm. I'm but I, I don't think I've like drastically improved either mm. from when I initially played. So. Well, you haven't played it. I mean, tons in person, I suppose. A lot of online. Yeah. I think I, I probably had like. I don't know, 60, 70, 80 plays now. That's still so much. Um, ah, <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I was interested to hear your points on like looking up strategies. I think you both highlighted on kind of like the exact reasons why I don't normally do it. So I was interested to kind of hear the explanations of why it is in our list. I think those are pretty good points. Um, one other thing I thought, you know, when we were talking about whatever, checking out the rule book and how to play and stuff like yeah that gets your like familiarity and ready to play like sooner or whatever but like one thing we didn't hit is that you'll probably save some time on your game night too like usually you know there still might be a little bit of a teach but if you can go from like a half hour of teaching or something that to like five or ten minutes like you're gonna have a lot more play time especially if you're on like a weeknight game night kind of thing so kind of getting yourself a step ahead and setting yourself up for more fun playing time rather than learning some more rules time. And it might play into like different people's learning styles a little bit too. Like, you know, some people like will learn a lot in that teach, but maybe other people really want to read that rule, the rule book themselves and stuff like that. And like, you don't really want to sit and read the whole rule book to yourself while everybody else is like waiting to play at the table kind of thing. So you can kind of cater yourself that way or like, you know, kind of play out some of your turns in your head kind of thing. I know Suzanne always comments that she likes to like, you know, kind of play through a turn while she's following through the rule book and stuff like that. So you can kind of whatever cater your learning to ahead of time if you're able to. Yeah, really good point. My my wife, like, she just hates learning new games. She doesn't like listening to rules. 
maybe she just doesn't <laughs> like listening to me talk. I'm not sure. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like like if you don't like listening to rules, like some people, I think it's just hard to like sit and listen to someone talk about how to play. And what like yeah, exactly. Like know your learning style, watch the video, read it yourself. Absolutely, that's a really good, really good point. Yeah, I hosting enough game nights and and pushing people to like read the rules or watch the videos. You know how rarely it actually happens that everybody actually came to the table and watched the video or read the rules, <laughs> and they have to like not do a complete teach. It's it's actually kind of crazy. So I almost always end up having to do that complete teaching, no matter what. But it even then, it's because some of the people at the table have watched the video or read the rules as well. Uh, it does streamline even that process, so it makes it easier for the person who's going to teach you those rules to to go through that explanation even uh, in those cases. So, yeah, definitely helpful. All right. Let's move on to you're at the table and somebody's teaching you the game. And the most obvious thing that I'm going to, I think, out of all of these suggestions is to avoid the distractions. Uh, the distractions of other people running to the fridge, getting a beer, the most obvious distraction, which is put the cell phone down. <laughs> that goes that goes for me, Mr. Cohn. Don't put the cell phone down. Don't play with the phone. You don't need to take those BGA turns right now. You can wait till somebody's <laughs> done teaching you the game. Of course, I'm also the person who, after about 10 minutes of teach, I'm completely... Everything you're talking about now is pointless. I've completely <laughs> lost my attention. You got you got to teach it to me in ten minutes or less. That's that's pretty much my focus period. <laughs> but uh, you know, so I have to do some of those other things. You know, if I can to try to prep myself for the game or try to conceptually, if you can if you can tell me this game mechanically works a little bit like this game or this works like this game. Okay, in my head, I've got it. Let's go. But uh, I get it. Games need more explanation. So another big one that's obvious is just ask questions to help clarify your understanding of the mechanics and come prepared with with any questions that you had during your own exploration of the game before the before the teach so that you can get those clarified for you as part of that teach so that you don't have to try to hey, and I'm in the middle of the game and I didn't actually understand this mechanic. Well, you already had that conversation hopefully ahead of time so that you capture that. And, uh, and I've, I've done enough teaches myself where after I'm done with the teach, nobody asks any questions. And I can't tell, I can't tell me that I was, te I did that good of a job <laughs> teaching the game. Like I'm certain somebody had a question, but nobody wants to sound like they're stupid or somebody, nobody wants to sound like, uh, or hold up the game or, or hold up getting the game going. You know, like, oh, I'll just ask my question while we're playing, or or it'll just come to me while we're playing it, and I'll see how that actually works. No, no, ask the question up front. Get it out there. Yep. Uh, one thing, you know, I if you're the kind of player who, who likes a strong theme in a game, like, wh one thing I like to do is, while listening to the rules, try to think about the mechanics from a thematic perspective to me this just helps me get into the game more and understand why the it was designed this way because it has like a thematic reason so for example uh in the game maracaibo you are sailing a ship around the caribbean isles 
and you start your turn by moving your ship along a little pathway of islands from either one to seven spaces. If you end your movement on a on a village, an island with a village, uh, depending on how far you moved, you get to take a certain number of village actions. So if you moved your ship one or two spaces, you get one village action. If you moved like three to six spaces, you get two. And if you moved a full seven spaces, really sailed out to to a faraway island, you get um, uh, three village actions. So for me, like thematically, I'm thinking about uh, my ship is sailing quickly away to a distant island, bypassing these other possible stops in between. Uh, and so, and because I traveled quickly, I have more time to spend at the island I stopped at, so I get more actions there. Um, you know, I traveled a full seven spaces, I get more time at the island. I, I, uh, and more actions. Um, again, this is like something I do for myself because it helps me understand why I want to do a certain action or why certain things work in the game. I like making those thematic ties. Um, also, I would provide this as a tip for someone teaching a game uh especially thinking about other people's learning styles or what other people want from a game some people you can just explain the mechanics and they will get it but i know there's plenty of players who who want that theme who want to understand why and if you can give a thematic example while you're teaching so much the better you're gonna help it other players get more to latch on to so that's one little thing i like to do and you've probably heard me ask questions about like thematic reasons for rules and stuff while you're teaching a game because i like to like build that into my head as i'm playing so i have like more of a connection to to the rules but yeah it's actually really good advice and i think uh, another thing that can be extrapolated from that is as um as you're learning a game or or getting ready to teach the game if you can incorporate some of this into your into that activity as well, it makes it easier to figure out how the rules should work when you get to some ambiguity or mm. some mechanic in the game that you're not 100% sure how it should work. You know, you can spend, you know, the next 10 minutes of gameplay looking it up in a rule book, or you can go, well, mechanically, it should work, it likely works like this because that seems to fit best with the theme of the game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I assume that works on a level of like comprehension with a game too. Like, instead of like learning it as like you know steps one, two, three, that's kind of what I do. Like, you know, maybe if like the theme is like you're building something, it's oh well, first I need materials kind of thing. Like, oh, and then to actually build it, I need workers or something kind of thing. So maybe it can piece yourself together, like remembering the steps to actually flow through in like a multiple step or round type of game, like. Same with, like, different rounds, like, oh, here's the build phase, like, and whatever, here's, like, now we're, like, selling stuff phase and stuff like that kind of thing. Yeah, for me, it helps me remember the rules. It's like building a mnemonic, right? Yeah, like you said, like, you you got to get the materials, then you got to get a worker to do it. Like, it just helps me remember just versus straight raw mechanics, I think. Totally. I think it's one of the reasons why I love uh, our friend Chris, who Justin and I know. I think, Brian, you've met Chris as well at the game table. Probably. Chris, uh, there's a game called Dungeon Lords. That cr- It is a very crunchy, very mechanically challenging game. But 
Chris does this amazing narrative thematic teach of the game explaining <laughs> explaining it in this like super fun light way that makes you thematically understand every action space and so I almost am to a point myself where I refuse to teach the game <laughs> I wait until Chris is around and then I make sure it gets scheduled on a game night that I know he's coming so that I can make him teach the game because it's it's even if even now as a player that I had that I know the rules and I've played the game well I probably three four times now maybe a bit more than that but every time I think it's been Chris teaching it <laughs> because he does he, he does that thematic teach and it makes it easier to understand the game and understand those concept, concepts so it's no it's a great great thing to think about and do that gets us to all right. Game set up, they're done teaching, we're started moving our, our pieces around on the game board, or flipping our cards, whatever the game is. We're in, we're playing the game. A couple of things, real quick, that are, I think, the big obvious ones. First, first thing is just don't worry about that score. Whatever that, whatever that score is, don't worry about that. Worry about, more about understanding the game and enjoying yourself. Just focus on that. That's that's gonna help you enjoy the session and, and convey enjoyment. Uh, don't sit there and gripe about how you don't understand something or you don't understand the game or you don't you you're not enjoying yourself or whatever the whatever the case might be. Don't don't bring don't sit there and be negative. Be positive about the game and and certainly if you're playing the game and you're still in this positive and there's something that comes up where you don't understand. You know, ask. Ask the person who taught the game quick. Like, hey, I got this card. I know I'm not supposed to show it to you, but hey, can I show you this card? Because I don't understand what it does. And anyone that's been a good teacher will take the time to look at the card and explain to you what it does. And yes, everybody else probably gets that public information because they're like, oh, he Ben's got the card that uh, if we attack him, he will repel the attack automatically card. Oh, well. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's not attack Ben. But at the same time, now you've had that clarification and you understand what it means because otherwise you might have gotten attacked and never played the card because you didn't know it. You didn't know what it meant exactly. This is what I need to do more myself. But for a new game, pick one thing to be the best at. Just pick a primary goal that you're going to focus on for the game. It might not be a strategy that's going to win you the game, but like Ben said, maybe you shouldn't be worrying about that right away on your first play. Don't worry about the score so much, but focus on some aspect, some mechanic that you can just kick butt at. I think it helps you sometimes to be able to ignore some of the other complexity of the game and just focus on one aspect. This advice is maybe a little more applicable to Euro type games where there's lots of ways to score points but you know i think many games reward specialization of some sort whether it's explicit or not like for example lords of Waterdeep, a classic worker placement euro style game literally just gives you a faction that's like you get extra points if you complete warfare quests so that's like explicitly saying hey be the best at warfare but for other games you might just have to pick that yourself and say i'm gonna i'm gonna be the best at this one thing and all of my actions are going to try to feed that. So like, for example, in 
lost runes of arnak um at least in the base game nothing is explicitly telling you to be like do the best at overcoming guardians at dig sites but you could just choose like i'm gonna be the monster slayer i'm gonna just beat all the monsters at all the sites and see how that works out um might not win you the game but you get points for it so you know choose that thing and pick a focus you know but yeah, Lost Ruins in the expansion, the Leaders expansion, you have a little specialty that prompts you like, yeah, you're a little bit That's... better at uh, <laughs> getting relic cards, or you're a little bit better at exploring the board. So, I thought yeah, that definitely. might be the case, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the asymmetry of Leaders definitely pushes you a little in that direction, so no, totally. Yeah, no, uh, our friend Aaron does this, uh, and does this to a T. I yeah. remember, <laughs> yeah. uh, what was the, I don't remember the euphoria that's the game so we played euphoria for the first time with aaron and it had we were playing the kickstarter version that had like really cool metal gold tokens and this was before the stonemeyer chests of luxury tokens like this was this was <laughs> back when if you had fancy wooden tokens for anything like oh my god then your your game was blinged like this was before you could get like heavy metal gold bricks or gold bars and and you know bricks that looked like bricks like holy cow this kickstarter had all of that built in I and mean, we're playing it and aaron decided that he liked the gold bricks so darn much he didn't care about anything else in the game he was just going to collect gold bricks and he, that's what he was going to do and he was going to get all the gold bricks and then he had this like small pile of gold bricks he didn't do bad in the game either I don't think he won that first game, but he didn't do bad, but he was having such a good time just collecting all the gold bricks and seeing how many of them he could get <laughs> and then playing with his little stack of gold bricks uh, when it wasn't his turn. That, like, that made it worth it, and then he had to go hunt down and buy the Kickstarter version of that game only to <laughs> see Stonemaier, I think, in a year later or so, run Kickstarters for the fancy tokens uh, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that they were doing. Which you can get, uh, I don't know, it's some other company now that does, you can go buy all those fancy tokens from. We'll, we'll put a link to it in our show notes, I'm, I'm sure, if I remember to do that. But yeah, like that's a totally something you can do, and it helps just helps you enjoy the game more, because you did something really well. Yep. It also forces like, I you like to... I look at it as a tip. Oh, oh go ahead. Go well, ahead man. I was just going to say, I like it as a tip, as like, it's a way to just like get me moving to do something. Otherwise, like in a new game where there's just like so many options, it's like, well, what the heck do I do? Kind of thing. Like, you know, you can focus on the one thing and then you'll kind of learn as you go and get, you know, you'll just be able to take some turns and learn and figure out what else you might want to do. You could actually ask like somebody else too, I guess, was a point like, oh, what should I try to do? Kind of thing. And usually, like, you know, if other people are familiar with it, they'll have a general idea of like, you know, what direction you want to go or don't want to go kind of thing, just to figure out what, you know, what you can do in the game kind of thing. Yeah, Mari Kaibo, we just just talked about that earlier. We had just played that at CabinCon with two new players, I think, at the table that never played before, right, Justin? Mm -hmm. And I said, I told him, like, this will all make sense after you do, like, your first things. The first thing you don't want to do, the most obvious thing is you can go to the first island on the map. And I joke because in that game, I decided not to go to the first island on the map, but <laughs> everybody else did. And they all then immediately started to understand the mechanics. And I certainly didn't win the game, so I think I had a pretty competitive score in that game, but I didn't win the game. 
So maybe there was something to maybe you should have stopped at the island first on your first move. Yeah. <laughs> Take your own think, advice. <laughs> one thing I think that ties into what you're saying there, Brian, in terms of asking for help is, and this is a, a slightly separate kind of idea, but for something really complex, like even just agreeing as a group to say, hey, look, this is going to be a learning game for our first one. Like agree to ahead of time, help each other out during your turns and point out like, oh, I see that you could do this, which is going to be a way better action. I think for a lot of games that are competitive, there might be some stigma to helping other people find a better action or avoid maybe something that isn't as good. But if you agree ahead of time, say, hey, look, this is a, this is a complex game. We're going to just take it as a learning game and help each other out and try to like whatever path we choose to take to win. Like it's fine to say, hey, look, you can do even better if you go over here, you know, do this instead. I I did this for a game of uh, on Mars that I played recently, also at Cabincon. I taught to uh, um, a couple of guys. Aaron and, and, it's Aaron yeah. and Larry. I I played with. It's such a complex game. You can't you can't unless you're a genius. I feel like you can't sit down at your first play <laughs> and expect to like play it competitively. It's just too much. And so we, I was like, hey, we're going to treat this like a learning game, like ask questions, ask for help, help each other out. Like, oh, no, if you if you do this action, you're going to get even more points. Or here's another way to get what you're trying to do this better. Um, so for really heavy games, dude, make make the first one a learning game or, you know, play a couple turns that way and then start the new the real game, you know, something like that. On Mars. That game is so mentally brutal. Oh, All right. Hard. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have played it three times. At least I don't know how to play that game yet. played it twice. <laughs> I think the second time I had it mechanically a little bit better. I, I don't think we messed up anything mechanically, but it was such a mental workout the whole game that, like, yep. I'm not sure. Like, I don't, like, Suzanne, I don't think we'll play it again. <laughs> And yeah. she loves space. It's like the theme is her. <laughs> she loves space and and like her favorite game is terraforming Mars. So when I saw on Mars, I'm like, this is basically terraforming Mars, but slightly different, maybe slightly more crunchy. Oh no, it's, <laughs> it's a whole other level. It's, it's just like this whole other crunchy beast, and it's a great game, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's almost an extreme of maybe a two bit, just a hair too far for some folks. Yep, I, I think that's true. <laughs> so you do all these things, you get done playing the game, you're sitting there, maybe you're trying to pick, you know, you're cleaning up the game, maybe it's, you know, chit chat before you end with game night, or you're waiting for another table of games to get finished or something. Who knows what the situation is? But you're you're wrapped up the game. And there's definitely things, even at this point, that I think are very important to make that first game experience for you even better and, and not only better for you, but for better for everyone around, around you. One of the first things is to just focus in on what you liked about the game. And your when you talk about the game, you just played when you just get done playing it. And this is really something you should do for every game. Uh, this happened to me at cabin con. And of course I, I, this, somebody I, I sat down, I play this game for the first time. And, uh, 
then when we finished, somebody asked me how I what I thought of the game, and they know that I play a lot of board games, and they think they were looking for me to give more of a reviewer's opinion because I also have reviewed a few games. And I had to be honest, like I played this game once now. I wasn't blown away by it. I thought it was okay. Um, and, and, you know, I think that, you know, like I, as soon as I said that, I, I the look on their face and, and whatnot, it, it instantly was like, oh, really? Like clearly their opinion of the game was better. And I had to, then I said, like, I, I, I really want. I really would like to play this game again because I think they're, you know, my opinion's based on this first play, and I don't know. I spent a lot of the game just fully understanding the mechanics and how everything worked, and getting a second play, I think, would be really beneficial for me to now. Okay, now I can start to implement strategies and 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 get a better feel for the actual game itself. And they were like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." But if I would have approached that with more of a positive or positivity more you know and just instead of saying yeah it was like a seven or a six for me you know as far as a game is so so and you know i don't care if i really play it i'm certainly not gonna go and buy it if i would have said man i really like this mechanic about this game i thought that was interesting i think that would have been a better way to approach that and it would have been the same so like there are some games that i really dislike we've joked about it a little bit on the show about i don't like Catan, but i will i really like the dice rolling mechanic of trying to understand the board and trying to maximize your odds for getting materials based on the average results on a pair of dice. I like, I really love that mechanic. I like the trading early on in that game. I really like those things. So if I'm talking about Catan instead of saying, Hey, I hate Catan. I should say, Hey, I like those, these couple of mechanics out of the game. And I do really like those mechanics out of the game. I think they're really good. And at the time they were brilliant mechanics for a game. If you do that when you play it and you get done playing that new game, you focus on what you liked about the game, uh, it just will help you walk away with a more positive experience as well. And then certainly, especially if the game frustrated with you a little bit as far as how to score or what to what strategy to take, this is a great opportunity for you to go to ask the other players that played the game as you maybe help pick up the game or whatnot. What strategies did, you know, what, what about what they did in the game really worked for them? What did they, what, you know, what strategies do they wish they would, would have done differently or maybe will deploy the next time they play the game? It's a great way to open up a, a conversation, a roundtable conversation where everybody being like, oh, hey, I really think that I should take the Loki cards because the Loki strategy in this game would be really good. Okay, great. Then... Maybe that's something you can try to think about or get your head about and go, oh, yeah, I remember seeing some of those cards and I just passed them along and didn't take any. Next time I'm going to, maybe I'll explore that strategy. Gives you some more opportunities and ways to maybe think about the game a little bit more than just what you as your own perspective while you're maybe, especially if you were frustrated at any point during the game. So those are things I recommend that you do after the game as well, just to kind of help yourself Get yourself into that mode so that the next time you might play that game or play a game with a similar mechanic, you're already kind of armed and prepared with maybe some things that you can do to help deal with it and, and react. Okay, and with that, I think that gets us to all of our recommendations that we had for things you can do when you're trying to pick up a new game and, and have it taught and explained to you. 
So on today's episode, we did talk about some games that we were playing, including Azul with a Crystal Mosaic expansion and Hadrian's Wall. During our hobby corner, we talked about mine, uh, Ben's, and uh, Suzanne's new hobby and gaming space, as well as Brian's Rage and uh, his Batman and some Adepticon and Bolt Action and lots of stuff that was going on there. And, of course... As we just wrapped up, we shared some great tips for enjoying a game that's new to you. Hope you found all of this helpful and enjoyable, and we'll catch you on the next show. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right. It's wiscodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out.